right, how are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. If you have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. And yes, I will be there this morning in Romans chapter 12. Uh, just kind of want to give you um, uh, just a heads up. A uh, c- couple things. Uh, one, um, this is one of my favorite scriptures uh, in, in, in the Bible, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 there. Uh, and then I didn't preach last week, um, and so a little amped up, fired up, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and then, uh, not to draw attention, but I'm going to draw attention to my man Marcus over here. Uh, everybody say, hey, Marcus. Marcus, Marcus is in town um, from North Carolina, Statesville. Um, and just, I know I'm pointing attention here, but when we talk about discipleship, this is what discipleship looks like. Scott is a man that's poured into Marcus um, so much so that that relationship there, that bond with Christ and what that looks like and what that means, um, that, that they're still walking together. I mean, he lives in North Carolina. Scott's here. They're still walking together. They still have a relationship. They still encourage each other, iron sharpening iron, uh, and connected in such a way that he makes trips here. Scott makes trips there, and they just continue to walk out as, as they look for other people to do that with, to, to raise up, to send out, to, uh, to be able to take the message and the news of Jesus. And so I'm pointing this out because my man Marcus here will help, help a brother preach, won't you? Uh, see what I'm saying? So y'all just, y'all in for a treat this morning. So it's, 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 we may get out of here by two, we'll see. Um, oh, so Romans 12, one, two, uh, to kind of pull back for just a second. A few things I uh, want to point your attention to. We've got coming this week, uh, the men chili cook-off, just so you know. Second place is up for grabs. First has already been wrapped up by the preacher because his father-in-law's in this week helping him cook chili. So um, Y'all in trouble, but, uh, but no, really, we're going to have a, a men's, men's night here. Uh, men by Design is the ministry that it supports, and so chili cook-off, good time of uh, food. Bring chili, bring chili. There'll be competition, chances to win stuff, um, and we'll have fellowship and time of the Word, uh, so good time there. And then I uh, want to go ahead and start to kind of get you prepared. I know we've got a lot going on as we enter into this season in the church uh, as we uh, head toward Easter, uh, but just a few things coming up. Monday, Thursday service, April 6th, 6 p.m. here. Uh, I don't know why I put fling ding. It just, that's my West Virginia roots kind of shining through. Um, and I know like Scott is probably freaking out. Uh, I will get called out by Franklin. Scott, there's no Easter fling ding. Um, but that's what I'm calling it. Uh, it just rolls off the tongue real nice. And so, uh, especially if you're from West Virginia, it makes you even more excited. But uh, it's not an Easter fling ding, but it's going to be a great time. Uh, it's going to kind of mimic what we did uh, for our Christmas get-together out in the front uh, in the parking lot out there. Uh, we're going to have some food trucks, vendors. We're going to use that as an opportunity for our children's ministry even. And, uh, man, just a way to s- just kind of serve our community. So it'll be out front, food trucks. We'll have games, bounce houses. I think we're going to have even like a petting zoo. Can I get confirmation of that, Summer? I, I got the thumbs up, petting zoo. Um, so more, yeah. So anyways, I'm pull that thought back. Uh, so be great, great opportunity there just to kind of come and hang out and be a part. So just kind of be marking, marking on your calendar some stuff that is upcoming. And so um, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is some scripture that I feel like the Holy Spirit used mightily in my life early on. Uh, it was just one of those scriptures that just kind of pulled me in um, after, after I was saved. And just uh, God used it to just shape and mold me all the more into the image of His Son. And it's a scripture that I believe... Uh, God has laid before me on purpose to kind of constantly pull me back to, to kind of constantly remind me of, uh, of utmost importance uh, of things. And so I uh, saw, saw a quote this week uh, from Oswald Chambers, and I thought it was just a very, very good quote that helps kind of sum up what, why I believe that I'm drawn to the, these verses here. Oswald says this, he says, All of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ, hell afraid of it. So heaven loves it and cheers it, hell fears from it. He says, while men are the only ones who ignore its meaning. 
Mm. So, so for me, it's one of those things of Romans 12, 1 and 2 reminds me of the cross of Christ and what he has done. And it reminds me the call in my life to be a follower of Jesus, what, what it means for me. And so it, it's just a way for me to kind of get centered, kind of to come back to, to be centered, to be uh, focused, to orient my heart and my life around what's of most importance. And so for me, uh, the cross of Christ means so, so much. And so what we're going to see this morning here in the scripture is Paul pins this letter uh, to the believers there in Rome. He's just going to remind them by this command to, to be a living sacrifice, to die to self, to die to self, to die to self, and to live in light of what God has done uh, through Jesus. Th- that's, that's your motivation. That's your force. That's what helps you accomplish and be and do. And so uh, we're, we're just a little more than a month removed from reading through the Gospels uh, as we've been kind of walking through, reading through uh, the New Testament this school year. And we're just a month removed from that. And uh, we, so we just not long ago looked at the work of Christ on the cross and what he has done by way of the cross. And so uh, it's just a good, good reminder of his sacrifice, this verse is. And so it just helps me, like I said, it helps me go to that deeper reality of, of what I was really created for, what I was made for. It reminds me, I think it reminds us so, so much. It reminds us that this easy believism junk that's kind of infiltrated the church is junk. That it's not what it is. It's not just, just kind of believe with no real sincerity. Just kind of like say a little prayer, do a little thing. Just kind of this haphazardly uh, believing. Live your life, enjoy, do what you want to do. Don't forget to kind of just tag Jesus on some things and maybe show up every once in a while or, or be really, really nice here and there when there's really no real cost or sacrifice for the believer, the one who says that they've put their faith in Christ. And see, that cheapens the cross is what it does. That cheapens and it's counterfeit. And, that's, and church, that's just not saving faith. That, that's not even close to what saving faith is. Especially when we look at what, what, what Jesus calls us to in the scriptures, when we see what it looks like when, when someone has encountered Christ, when they've, when they've come face to face to the cross and realize what that cross means and what it does and what he's accomplished. And he calls people out in their sin. So see, what this verse does for me is it reminds me of that great cost. It reminds me that it's well, well worth it and this easy believism of oh yeah I believe and just kind of go on about my day with no real desires and affections and longings for Jesus is not salvation and this reminds me and, and just up front you will never be able to do this without Christ what, what I'm going to challenge you with this morning what I'm going to lay before you and plead with you beg of everyone in this room to be at a place where you live this type of a lifestyle you can't do it without Christ and I'm not saying that to kind of like raise a challenge oh, I can't do it I'll show you no no you can't you physically imp- you can't it's impossible to because, because this is not work of your own. This, this is, you are unable to do that on your own. It's only by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so this morning, my hope and my desire is, is simply, simply this. this. This is what I want in praying and desiring, that your faith is so real and active that it leads you to this place to be a living sacrifice. That, that your faith becomes so real, that your belief in who Jesus Christ is becomes so real that you die to self over and over and over again daily. So, so here, chapter 12, Paul, he, he enters in this new section of this letter here in Romans, and he's, he's going to focus on what it means to, to live as a disciple for Jesus in light of, of what God has done for us. And so, so Paul is going to plead with his brothers and sisters here in this chapter. He's, he's going to, at the very beginning, he's going to plead, he's going to pour out his heart to those there uh, to, to be a living sacrifice to God. At all costs, look to lay your life down for this. And so Paul is very, very careful not just to give them here in this chapter, here in this book, because it'd be really, really easy to do that. 
be, be easy just to give them a, a list or a new law or, or a thing of, of do's and a thing of don'ts, but he, but he doesn't do that. See, duty or an attempt to earn anything from God isn't what motivates us to be living sacrifices. It's not I approach it with, what do I get out of it? No, I approach it as a, as a desperate beggar on the street with nothing. I approach it as, as the fact that the God of the universe has stepped in and, and in my mess and in my sin and in my rebellion has stepped in and has approached me and has, has come face to face with me and says, hey, you, what are you doing? I want you, I've created you for more. I, need, I want to rescue you, I want to save you, I want to redeem you. That's what this is. It's not a list of, of do's and don'ts or, or try harder. And that's what we're going to see here. Paul is going to plead with him. He's going to appeal to them. And I believe even to us this morning, based upon God's mercy, not, not anything in us, but based upon God's mercy. See, that's the way that we're to live our life. By remembering God's past mercy for us, past love for us. I mean, I mean listen for just a second here as, as I put on the screen. Listen, listen to this, this verse here in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. Uh, listen to how Paul even writes it to the believers there at Corinth when he says this. He says, for Christ's love compels us. See, Christ's love is what gets our attention. It's the love of Jesus that, that, that awakens us, kind of uh, uh, makes us aware, that gets our attention. It's, it doesn't say um, uh, for, for, for Christ's hatefulness or for Christ's judgment or for Christ's wrath, but what it says for, for Christ's love, what it compels us. It, it draws us. It gets our attention. It beckons us. It welcomes us. It woos us. That's what God's love does. Why? Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, it's by the love of Christ. That's what compels us. That's what draws us in. That's, what's in, that's what invites us. And when we taste and we see, and, and he invades our hearts, and he uh, rules our motives, our actions, our everything, then we can live out what, he has, what Paul is challenging, what Paul is commanding the church to live out this morning. So I'm going to pray one more time, ask you to join me, and then we'll, we'll, we'll navigate through Romans 12, 1 and 2. Father, help us this morning to hear what you have to say. Father, not what I have to say. What I have to say offers nothing. God, but, but what you have to say changes lives for eternity. So Father, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would move. I pray that you would work like only you can. Holy Spirit, be heavy and real in this place. Father, draw the heart that don't know you to yourself and save and rescue. Father, if this is the first time that the gospel's been heard, oh God, that you would rescue and redeem. Father, for the believer this morning, when we look at this and we talk about this and we start to navigate through what, what you've called us to do, Father, it seems overwhelming, but with you, we can. And, and so God, I pray that this morning we'd get a greater understanding and awareness of what this means and how to live this out and how to walk this out and how to, how to be what you've called us to here, a living sacrifice dead to self, alive in you. So Father, do what only you can do in this place this morning. Maybe offer your glory for your honor and for your great name. Then we pray. Amen. Romans 12, 1. This, this, is what, this is what Paul writes to the believers at Rome. He says, I appeal. So right there out, out of the gate, there's this appeal that's being made, kind of a begging or a, a pleading and urging. And, and, and Paul's going to make this appeal, and, and you can almost feel the weight of it as he makes it. This, as he, it's almost like a beg, like, like a plea, like, like, like please, like, guys, you've got to get this. Like, I can, I can, I can see the urgency in Paul as he, as he says this, as he tells this to the believers there in Rome. I mean, because I feel it in my life today. I hope you feel it in your life today. That there is this urgency in what we're going to read and what we're going to see from the Apostle Paul, especially in the church in this day. 
Especially, we don't live this out well. We don't do this well. We don't follow this well. And this isn't a, uh, this isn't a hopefully you'll get it. This isn't a, oh, please, it'll be someone. No, no, th- this is a command given by God through the Apostle Paul for the church at Rome, which, which just trickles down to the church here today. And so, so the urgency behind this, the pleading behind this, feel the weight of this this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... So it lets us know that he's talking to the believers at Rome, the brothers, the sisters, those who are in Christ there at Rome, the followers of Jesus. He appeals to them. And the therefore, I love that little word, therefore, because all therefore does is it reminds us to go back. Reminds us to go back and look, why, why is it there? What is he saying? He's, he's, he's tying something together there in the scriptures for us to get a greater understanding, kind of feel the depth and the scope of, of what's happening here in this moment. And so what it does is we go back to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. And and so Paul is going to say this, right? This in his letter to them. And then he's going to go Romans 12 and make this appeal. And it's almost like twofold. Hey, go back and look and remember what I just told you. Don't don't forget what I just said. Get a a good picture and understanding of, of who God is. Romans 11, 33 says this. It says, all the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, we, like, we think we've got it going on with, like, Siri. I think will talk to me. Or our computers and Google. If you're like me and you Yahoo stuff, I'm a Yahooer. I know most of you Google now, but I Yahoo. I search that stuff. And I mean, you, we can find almost anything anywhere nowadays, can't we? I mean, we can create. We can, I mean, I, I, okay, I probably couldn't. But I could almost probably change, like, a motor in a car. But just... Googling it and figuring it out and searching it and look. I mean, the, the, the wisdom and the knowledge that we have. But, but that fails in comparison to the creator of the universe. Who has intricately designed every fiber of every being everywhere. Us, man, creation, the universe is every. I mean, the universe is so big. Like, I, I don't even know how they measure it now. Like, light years? They measure it and how long it takes light to travel. And I'm just like. That blows my mind. How do they even know that the computer thing that they're looking through, telescope thing, is, how do they know that? I mean, how in the world? They don't fully. There's no way to grasp and understand. But there's one that does. And, and that's what Paul, he's drawing their attention. All oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counselor? Do you know what's great about that little statement right there? Who's, been his, who's known his mind? Who's ever been his counselor? There's not one of us in this room that has ever reminded God of anything. Breathe that in for a moment. I mean, like, like I've got things that bing and ding all the time and post-it notes everywhere and reminders on my phone that constantly pop up because I, I'll forget. I'll just completely just blow past something or forget about something or not God. Who's ever given God advice? No one. And that's what, that's what I love about the scriptures. That's what I love. I mean, like you see these men of old, like these prophets of old, uh, wanting to remind God or wanting to tell God something. And, and he takes it for a minute. And then he's like, all right, boy, you ready? Gird yourself for this. Meaning just get ready. I got some, I'm going to let you in on a little something. And then he just begins to remind them who he is. He begins to tell them and remind. But, but I love it how he just, he allows us to come to him and he allows us to just vent and air whatever it is that we feel like we need to air. And, and he just takes it and he welcomes relationship like that with us. But, but even in us doing that, we're not reminding him of anything. 
Oh, you're right, Scott. You, yes, you wanted the weather to be nice tomorrow so that you could get out and you could... Ah, I completely forgot. Holy Spirit, hit that cloud and push it over more up, up north. Let's, let's give them a little bit more snow. It doesn't work that way. He's not like... No. Nobody's counseled him, given him. Or, or, or verse 35, look at that. Or who has, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? We have nothing to bring to God. Nothing. There's no bartering system. There's nothing that we can hold over his head. There's, 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 there's nothing that we can give to him that he doesn't already possess in half. Oh, yeah. Well, what about my life? Well, he's got that. He has it. And he either has it as your Lord and Savior or your just judge. And he gets glory out of both of those. So, so, so even our lives are not even of anything that we can hold over him or, or barter with him or, or get repaid from. And then verse 36, it says, for, uh, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So, so when we read that and we see that and we look back at this reminder there, as believers, we see the greatness of God by some of his attributes there. Namely, his omnipotence, his power, his might, his majesty, his omniscience, his all-knowing. There's nothing that we can tell God that he doesn't know, that he's not aware of, that he does, can't figure out himself. And so Paul is pleading with him. He's urging with him, remember the greatness and grandeur of God. Remember how big and mighty and awesome he is. Remember that he's already there in the moment. Remember that he's powerful enough to do whatever. Remember that he doesn't forget. Remember, he, I mean, he, he will blow your minds and your wildest imaginations. I mean, as we sang that song this morning, I mean, the, the very last song, that, as they sang that, as they, as they talked about the angels falling face down on the floor, millions upon millions upon millions. I mean, I just, I went to the throne room of God. I mean, I flash back to Isaiah 6 where, where Isaiah is, is there before the throne room and his train fills, fills the whole, whole area and he sits on his throne and the, the angels are flying around everywhere singing, holy, 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 holy is God Almighty. I mean, I get lost in that reality and that, 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 that knowledge of who God is, that, that the majesty and presence of God. I mean, that, 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 that is who we're talking about this morning. That's who Paul was pleading the, to them with. Is, this is God we're talking about. Not some man, not some thing, not some hope. Because with what he's about to tell them, it's impossible unless you understand who God is, unless you walk with God, unless you have relationship with God, unless you, you have him living in you. So he urges them, he pleads with them. How? Look at your verse, verse one as we continue. It says, by the mercies of God. See, his appeal, his pleading is by God's Mercy and mercy is not getting what we rightfully deserve. So remember how great and majesty and his power and his 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 on knowing, his knowledge. Remember that, but then also his mercy. Because of his mercy, fall on his mercy. See, see this is not an appeal to try harder. This is not an appeal to, hey, I promise I'll never do this again. This is, this is not an appeal to, uh, to do more. This is an appeal by the mercies of God. Lean into his mercy. If you try to do it yourself, you can't. You won't. You'll never make it. You'll never do it. It's the only way that we can do what he's asked here by, by his mercy, following his mercies. The reality of what, uh, that us not getting what we so deserve. And as a result of that, this is what you do. You present. See, present means to hand over, to give. And so when you hand something to someone, when you present something to someone, what does what you've presented, who does it belong to? To, to the one that you've given it to, right? 
so when I hand something to someone, I present something, if it's somebody's birthday and I present them a gift, or if it's, man, just out of the goodness of my heart and I have something I want to present to them and give them, then, then it no longer belongs to the one that had it, but it belongs to the new one that they've given it to. And so what Paul is pleading with them, urging them by God's mercy, is that you hand over, you give to, you fully give. You give it away, you let him have it, you, you relinquish all rights and ownership of it, you, you, you give it to him. And that's what he says that we're going to give to, to, to God, is this is our bodies as a living sacrifice. But God's mercy, we're going to give him, we're going to present him with, we're going to hand over our body as a living sacrifice. So us, us, hand over to him, living sacrifice. Uh, what, what is a living sacrifice? What do we know about a sacrifice? First of all, we know a sacrifice is dead, but he puts this little word in front of it, living sacrifice, so we're to be an alive dead person. Kind of, kind of crazy talk, is it not? I mean, we, we don't go around, how can you be an alive dead person? How, how does that work? What is that? Because we're dead to self and we're alive in Christ. It's, it's no longer Scott's doing, Scott's wants, Scott's longings. It's, it's, no, it's, it's now Christ. I'm, I'm dead to self. The old man has been, has been dead, has been murdered, has been put away. And the new man is being made new every day. His grace and mercy is upon me. And I'm, I'm growing and maturing and being shaped and molded into the image of Christ. And so, so old Scott's gone. This new alive Scott in Christ is here. But it's a reminder that even though I'm new and I've been made new and I'm, uh, I'm holy and I'm righteous, it's still a work in progress. Church, if we could just get that, this is progress. It's not perfection. Perfection doesn't happen this side of eternity. We strive and we long and we walk for and toward, but, but we're in progress. That's why there should be grace upon grace upon grace lavished upon us. Mercy, grace, nothing but that at the foot of the cross at church. We're to be living, we're to die to self, die to our wants, die to our longings. So why does, why does he say this? Why, why our bodies? Because our bodies is not a sacrifice for sin. And, and in all reality, at the end of the day, there's, there's nothing special or value about our body. And, and I don't care like how chiseled you are. I don't care how much you can bench press this morning or how far you can run. I mean, like you're easily to be killed. You know that, right? Like it, it doesn't take much to take us out. It doesn't take much. Like for me, a frog or a spider, and I'm done. Like, you know, like, like I am like borderline heart attack. Like it, it, does not take, it does not take much. No, but, but seriously, what the scriptures say, that what we're, we're a dew that's on the grass, and we're gone before noon. That's the way our life is. That's, that's it. We're easy. We're easy to kill. So what does this mean? To be a living sacrifice, offer our bodies, hand them over, present them, give them to God as a living sacrifice. I believe it just means bodily behavior. So you present your body as a living sacrifice. You're dead to who you were before the cross. You have no say for your life now. No say for your life now. You're not yours. You're his. And so we with our bodies, because of new hearts, because of being made new, we're a new creation. We live in a way that is fully and pleasing to God. It's our hearts being transformed by the gospel and it leads to a way of living and behaving that brings glory to God. That's what a living sacrifice is. The way that I think, the way that I react, the way that I act, the things that I do. Everything about me now is, is dictated and controlled by, by God. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm, I'm dead to self. And hear me, there's times where the old Scott and like, like, like Scott wants to come up and kind of like rear his little head and he wants to have some fun for a minute. He, he wants to live the way that he wants to live. He wants to do what he wants to do. He wants to say what he wants to say. I mean, there's moments like that and I have to be reminded 
No, 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 that, that dude's dead. We need to put him away. We, we, need, we need to get rid of him. We need to be done with him. We need to be away with him. And so, church, what this means is that we live, we act, we behave different than the world. I read, read a quote this morning that I thought was really, really good. This week, this is really, really good. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, this great theologian, this, this is what he says. He says, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she attracts it. Mm, love that. I thought that that goes so good with this thought of me being dead to self, me being a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and dead to, to my ways and my thoughts and my reactions and my longings and my wants. I mean, just how right and true is this, right? I mean, things that are similar don't really attract things very much, does it? But man, when you see something crazy, that gets your attention. When you see something that looks a little bit different, that acts a little bit different, that walks a little bit different, that does something a little bit different, what does that, it, it attracts you to it, does it not? You, you want to go see. You want to try to figure it out. You want to try to understand it better. You want to try to dissect it a little bit. You want to try to figure it out. Church, that's us. That's, us. that's what the Apostle Paul is beckoning, is pleading, is begging the church, the believers here at Rome to be and do. And you're dead to self. You want to attract the world. You want to reach the world. Be different than the world. Hear me, being the same as the world does not attract the world. It doesn't do a thing for them. Yeah, but doesn't it say to be all things to all men so that you be all things to all men in the regards of you live holy and separate and blameless. You don't do what they do. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't do and act and live like they do and act and live. We act and live and be and do differently. We do like Christ would do. We're, we're holy and righteous, set apart. And I'm going to do everything that I can to try to relate to, to try to draw, to try to find that common denominator, to, to have an end, to have conversation, to try to show them, to try to talk to them. I'm not going to hang it over their head. But I'm going to graciously love and care for, but I'm going to be different than. I'm going to be opposite than. It's like yesterday, Brody's, Brody's playing, playing, um, playing a golf tournament, and he's playing, and this is like his first 18-hole golf tournament, and we're halfway through, and one of the dads is caddying for his boy, just like somebody's like, man, it's a hot day. And I said, yeah, it is. It's a good day, fun day. He's like, man, just good old cold beer would be so good. And I'm like, ah, something cold would be good. I'm just not a beer drinker. If you drink beer, yeah, um, there, there's, there's freedom and grace there. But um, I just don't. And then I know what happens. Like, if I drink beer, what y'all do to me? So, um, but anyways, um, so I can just, I, but, but I had that kind of like, yeah, what do I do here, Scott? What do I do? Do I just kind of go with it? Do I not go with it? Like the old Scott would be like, hi, buddy, yeah, go with it. <laughs> but then what would happen, he'd want me to come at the end of it, and we'll be it, but here, I'll get you one, and I'm like, ah. So I didn't go that route, and I'm just like, ah, well, I had something cold to drink that would honor God would be good. And then just kind of, he's like, just got to keep on walking. But um, I don't know why that come out, but it just did. <laughs> Pray for me. I, I'm going to. Fast forward a little bit. Um, but it's about us acting and being different. That's what draws and that's what attracts. And, and, and hear me, if you drink, that's, this is not a slam on you if you drink beer. There, there's nothing, I'm not, uh -uh. the Bible says not to become drunk. And we can have theological talk and, and converse about that, okay? That's what it says, not to become drunk. And so there's freedom and there's grace and there's mercy there. Just for me, for whatever reason, God has put on me not to, so I'm not. Um, but man, that's what God has said and put there. And if you can glorify him and bring glory and honor to him doing that, then do it. In a way that honors him and brings him glory. So, um, just talking to you about the scriptures. But for us as a church, we're to be different. We're to act different. We're to live different. And we can't act or be different by our own power or our own want. But, but when we're born again, we get a new heart. We get a new motive. We get new desires. We get new longings. And in that, those desires 
begin to change, as long as we begin to change this, as Christ lives in us, right? It, church, this is what I'm saying. Christianity is about a relationship, not rules and regulations. It's about relationships. Like, I, I came from that fundamental independence thing where you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. And they really never told you a whole lot of what to do. But they told you a lot of what not to do. Oh, and by the way, just believe in Jesus. And, and, and what they did, is they, they, it's almost like they, they tried to, 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 to um, uh, dictate your behavior or change your behavior or control your behavior. And they never tried to get to your heart. And, and what Jesus is about is getting to your heart. So this call, this beckoning, this urging to be a living sacrifice is not to stop doing stuff, but it's, start, it's to start doing something that's pursuing Christ in every area and facet of your life. It's to start loving him supremely. It's to start uh, uh, desiring him, longing for him, walking relationally with him. That's what this is. And hear me, church, when we do that, it will attract. It will get the attention of the world. Because you don't talk like your coworker or your boss or your whoever or your cousin or your neighbor or, or, or whatever. Because you don't react the same way they react, even when bad things happen. Even whenever you get dealt a dirty hand or whatever. Because, you, because you're dead to self. Now, now I'm, I'm not telling you that there's not times I want to. And it's a battle and there's times that I give in and I blow it. And what do I do? I live different than the world. I own it. I apologize. I repent and I keep pursuing. That's what I do. It's not a call to be perfect. It's a call to be in progress. The Holy Spirit will convict. He will draw. He will work. And he will let me know whenever I need to do some things like that. And then I love here how Paul connects this to worship, right? Because like, like we, we live in a day and an age, and it's been there for a while. I believe it's been there forever, for a while. That we just live in a day and an age where we are just like worshiped crazed, are we not? And, and the problem is in our worship crazedness, and especially in the church, we, we, we've missed the point of what it is. We go around with it that, that I don't think that, we, that God's ever intended for us to go. See, I think we make it about the type of music we sing instead of the one that we sing to. See, oh, I heard it mm, there. Y'all watch out. I will get to preaching and it will, will be pushing three. But no, we do, do we not? We make it about what it was never intended to be. And, and, I, and I, love, I love this right here, what Paul does, how he connects this whole thought of dying to self to worship. And not once do we see a guitar entered into this e equation or scripture or piano or keys or a good old Southern gospel. Mm, you know what I'm saying? We don't see any of that. What we do see is, is a call and a beckoning to come and to die. And then that's what he says this is. He says it's holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. That's holy and acceptable worship. That, that's what worship is. Being a living sacrifice is worship. Worship's not limited to, church, hear me. Worship's not limited to the first 20 minutes of the service as we sing some songs. Because what I've learned and what I know is that you can be just as far from God singing those songs as you can be in the middle of singing them. Just because you sing the song doesn't mean that you're in the middle of it and that you're uh, uh, reflecting on and that you're taking in and that you're, you're being reminded of the greatness and goodness of God and you're pouring out your heart to Him. And see, I believe what Paul's done here is he reminds us and he connects this whole thought of that worship is a lifestyle. It's a motive of the heart. It's reflecting back to God, His worth. And how do you do that any greater than dying to self? Man, I'm going to respond like this, but oh, he's in me and I'm not going to, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to show love and grace. And I may even have the right and the position and the place to not. But man, because he's shown me mercy and grace and love, I'm going to be an image bearer of his. I'm going to reflect that in that moment. Well, because I'm a living sacrifice. I know how old Scott would respond. I know what old Scott would do. But I'm not old Scott. 
I'm new Scott, with a new heart, with a new motive, with new desires, with the Holy Spirit working and doing in me. And church, that's worship. That's worship. See, one act of worship is handing ourselves over as a living sacrifice. That's what he's saying. That's what, so, so, so I love it. Yeah, who cares if you can sing or not sing? Die to self, that's worship. Die to self, that's worship. Be obedient to him, that's worship. Walk out truth in him, that's worship. Just meditate on him, that's worship. And then, then what I know about this scripture is as I've read it, as I've, as, as I've let God work me over in the years past, this becomes easier, not easier, but not easy, but easier when we lean in and we act in obedience because of his mercy. The great thing about the Christian life is I don't have to do anything. Like, like what? The preacher saying you don't, you don't have to do anything. Uh-uh. No, I don't have to. The amazing thing is, is I've been invited in to participate and be a part of. I get to. That's right. I, I don't have to. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to pray. I don't have to be nice to you. I don't have to serve the world. I don't have to. No, I've been invited into now, and I get to. And my perspective and my heart and my understanding is completely different now. I mean, I don't have to come to church. I get to. I want to. I long to. Why? Because I get to come and I get to hear the word proclaimed. I get to come and I get to sing with my brothers and sisters about how great God is. I get to come and I get to hear stories of all that God has done in your life and how he's working and how he's doing. I get to come and I get to be held accountable. I get to come and I get to incur. I mean, there's a number of things that I get to come and be a part of. I don't have to. There's a difference between being, being invited into and trying to bust all up into it. And my fear is that that's where the majority of people have come to, is that they try to bust up into something that they're not. And that's where it becomes difficult and impossible. So he goes on in verse 2, and he says this. He says, and do not be conformed to this world. The word conformed here means to, to shape one's behavior. Don't, don't fall into the, to the mindset and the philosophies, the mold, the patterns of this world. Don't be conformed to this world. The world means the world's systems, the practices, the standards of those without God. That's, that's the thought here when he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be made and forced to fit in this box and be shaped by and, and, and the way that the world thinks, the way that the world does. And my fear is this thought of conforming has infiltrated believers, has infiltrated the church. I mean, many, many denominations today have fallen victim of this conforming. Have, has gotten away from, from the, the perfect and errant word of God. And what has happened is have allowed Satan to, to manipulate and to lie. Especially in some like hot button topics in our culture and day to day. And as I was thinking about this, and I was just like this whole conform to the world, like, like what, what, how, can I, how can I try to illustrate? How can I try to talk, talk about? And, and I don't know why, but this just kind of hit me this morning. Um, this was before Medicated Scott got here. And so um, it's almost like, like this is the world, right? And it seems very small because the world is small compared to God's vastness. We just read about it, right? I mean, who's known the mind of the Lord? I mean, who can look out and, and judge the depth and the scope and the weight of? And so this little old um, Kleenex box is like, it's, this is the world. And, and the thought of conforming is trying to take the philosophies and the ideas and the principles of living and life and doing and trying to fit them into here. So, um, so I'm, we're just going to, we're just going to, got the mics, we're just going to do this for a minute, right? Oh Lord, what's Scott doing now? I don't know how this will go, but we'll see. 
So it's almost like, like that's the world. And so like, like the world has all kinds of thoughts and all kinds of ideas and all kinds of like, 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 like philosophies and ways and, and definitions for certain things that we've got definitions for that usually don't match up and don't look like what we think they do. So, so like, like this one right here even, like, like marriage. Marriage. So like, like what the world says about marriage compared to about what we as the church say, says about marriage and, and what the world thinks of marriage. And the sad part in today's world, marriage is like, well, what can she do for me? And when she quits doing for me what I think she should be doing for me, well, then it's time to dump her and get a new one. I mean, we don't fight for, we don't live out, we don't, uh, we don't enter into. We don't, I mean, we don't, none of that. Marriage is just, okay, I don't have to be lonely for a little bit. And the sad part is, is in the Christian world, what marriage has become is just a cheap excuse. Now I can have sex and not, not feel guilty and shame about it. And so we just jump into this thing. One, so we won't be judged. We won't be this, we won't be that. And then we've kind of let the world kind of like, like push us and shape us into, oh, it's just not working. Well, it's, she's got to be the problem. Because you know what? That's what's crazy. It's never the other person. It's never me. I'm never the problem. I mean, y'all know me. I'm not. My poor wife, bless her. But is that not our mentality and our take? What, what, about, what about even, even this? I mean, and I've, I've already said it, but even like sex, like the whole point of like what, and my parent-in-laws are here. Good Lord, help me. You know this is of God if I'm talking about sex and my father-in-law and mother-in-law sitting in the service. But, but even the way that like the, like the world looks at sex has kind of even infiltrated the church. And, and we, the, 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 uh, what ticks me off is the way that we look at this and approach this is almost like as if we're buying a car. Okay, thank you. Is it not? Well, I mean, how do we know we're going to be compatible? Because if we're going to get to this, we need to go this way, right? No, heck no. That's what the world says. I mean, you want to make sure that that's good so you can, so that'll be good. That does not always make that good. You hear me? Or or what what about this? What about, I mean, even identity? Identity is something that the world, try, I mean, the world tries to, hey, shape us and mold us and get our attention. You need to be like this, you need to do that, you need to, how do you, how do you, I mean, we, we, we let the world kind of, th- those type of things. I mean, and, and things, like I could put thing upon thing upon thing upon thing. And I mean, like I'm not slamming. I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be mean and ugly. I'm just going by what God's word says. And what I've learned in my life is as, as great and as big and as awesome as the internet may be or as smart as I may think that I am, uh, what I've learned is the one that's created the vastness of everything. If he said something and done something and moved in a way, all I know is I struggle to help my kid with his fifth grade math, math homework. Why would I ever lend myself to my own thinking and reasoning when I struggle to do fifth grade math? I'm just saying, maybe yours is science or maybe yours is something else. But what the world tells us about, and again, these are just a few things. And, and the way that I kind of view this and look at this is that this, this is, because the thing is this, God's word speaks to this stuff, y'all. Like God's word says stuff about all of this. And hear me, there's grace and mercy in this room. So don't, don't think because maybe you've did it the wrong way or you went a different direction or you're struggling with something. No, man, the, the water's fine here at New Life. You hear me? And there's grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. And that's what that cross has purchased and done for us. So if you struggle with this, you're not alone. You're, you're not alone in this place this morning. 
You're not by yourself as, as much as Satan wants you to think that because you're struggling in any of these areas and a, a thousand more, that you're the lone man out on the island, that you're worthless, that you're, you just need to go ahead and give on in and you need to try to fit into the shape of the world and the, the thoughts of the world and the patterns of the world and be conformed. But God says this, this is what conforming is. It's like trying to get this into this box without messing the box. Like, like this, this don't fit in this. This, this will not go, go down and fit into this. And even when it does, it doesn't fit right. It doesn't fill the box up. There, there's corners and there's little places in there that you want to... It, it doesn't fill it up. But that's what the world says. And the world says, hey, there's freedom to live if you live this way. This is what freedom looks like. This is what a, a, a true vibrant life looks like. This is, what, this is the way it should be. I mean, look how small and little and minute it is. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't hold much space. But see, God's thinking, God's reasoning, God's way is so, so much different, so much bigger and better. And the box that we're in is not a box, but it's, but it's freedom and it's rightness and it's goodness. And, and it's the way that God's created us to be and to do and to live. And, and you're not held down by. You're not imprisoned by. I'm not conformed to the world because the world, the world puts limits on these things, man. Let me tell you what my marriage can be. Let me tell you what my marriage can be in Christ. I mean, it can be the most messed up, jacked up, wrong, whatever thing right now. But, but Jesus gets a hold of it and I do what the scripture says and I die to self. Man, what that marriage can be. I mean, I know people in the room right now who's had a train wreck of a marriage. Train wrecks of marriages. And what God has done in their life to redeem and to save and to rescue and man the testimony they can do and have now as a result of God getting a hold of it. I mean, sex, identity, I don't need somebody to tell me how I identify. I know how I identify. And it's not like what you're thinking. It's not a guy or girl type thing. It's a in Christ or not in Christ type thing. Because if I get the in Christ, not in Christ type thing, everything else will, 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 will figure itself out. Because he's instructed and he's told and he's created and he's made. I mean, there's freedom in that. The fact that I don't have to have somebody else to try to convince me that I'm something. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to have a school system. I don't have to have a, 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 a way of the world. I don't have to have uh, counselors. I don't have, I've, I've got the, the good counselor who's told me. And what he said is like, Scott, you're mine. That's why you identify. I identify as a Christian. I don't identify as a husband. I don't identify as this. I don't identify as a daddy. I don't identify as a preacher. I, don't, I identify as a believer in Christ. That's the greatest thing in my life is that I belong to Jesus. And there's all this pressure and stuff out there to try to convince me that, but, but yeah, but you need, to, you need to figure some other things out. I figured it all out. And when I land at the place that I'm good with being in Christ, everything else figures itself out. I don't have to feel the pressure of. I, I don't have to feel the weight of. I mean, I mean, I was reading not too long ago about all these professional athletes, and the moment that they uh, uh, retire and get out, their life just goes to put. But because they don't, they identified as an athlete. They identified as this celebrity. They identified as this, and the problem is the weight of that. It just won't. You're more than that. You're more than what you do. You're more than where you go. You're more than what you're good at. So don't cheapen it. That's that's what the, the world says. How do you identify? Well, I identify as, as this. Or I identify, and then when you quit being this or that, what happens? Life falls apart and goes all to hell. Why? Because you were never created for that reason. I mean, you were created in the image of God to identify 
as a follower of Christ, a born-again somebody, and life will fall apart and be a train wreck if you don't get that, if you don't land at that place. And that's what Paul's calling them into, reminding them back into. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed is, is where we get the, our English word that means metamorphosis, which means to change, to transform the essential nature of something. And so hear me, Jesus does not change our outward actions, but rather as a new creation in Christ, he transforms us from the inside out. He gives us a new heart, church. He, he doesn't say don't, 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 don't. He says, no, do this, believe, find life, find freedom. And then as you believe and find life and find freedom, now I'm going to start to work and do some stuff because there's some stuff in you that we need to get out. There's some things in you that I need to fix and I need to uh, reorient, that I need to change. I need to give you some new desires, new longings. I need to help you understand some things. And so what happens is we're being changed into the likeness of Christ. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own, no matter how awesome and how great and how disciplined we think that we are. I, mean, I don't care if you get up at 5 o'clock every morning and read three chapters of Revelation. I don't know why I went there because I know that's a hard one for the church to understand sometimes. Every morning for the rest of your life, or you can get up every morning at 5 o'clock and read three chapters for the rest of your life and you can still miss the point of. It's about knowing and cherishing and valuing and walking in glad relationship with. That's how we're to be transformed. That's one way. That's what takes, that's what transformation means. It's inside out work and it only happens in two ways. One, in salvation and through, two, through um, sanctification whereby the Holy Spirit is working and shaping and molding and he's changing our likes and desires and wants and longings whereby he brings about conviction over sin. And then Paul kind of lets us hear as he closes out too, lets us know a, a way that we're transformed as a believer. How? By the renewing of your mind. Lord, help us there. By the renewing of our mind. Hear me. Oh, that was a good scripture. I've been there. What we think about, what we meditate on, and what we allow in our minds is usually what we act upon. And what Paul says is this, junk in is going to be junk out. Junk in is junk out. By the renewing of your mind. Man, our mind is a battlefield, is it not? Our mind is where Satan comes for us. He wants to get us thinking about something, dwelling upon something. He wants to get us to believe something ridiculous that fits in the box of the world. He comes for us and he attacks us in our thinking. And then usually what happens, our thinking, it infiltrates our heart and our heart it brings about action. And he says, we've got to renew our mind. We've got to renew our mind. We need to put our thoughts on things that point us to God in his way. So how do we do that? We, we, we unplug and we get away from the world. Unplug and get away from the world. Yeah, we're in it, but we're not of it. We need breaks. You know what I'm saying? That's what this is this morning. This is a break. It's a break. It's a pause for a moment. It's a, it's a respite to kind of reorient our heart, our desires, our thinkings, our longings. Because I'm telling you right now, some, this right here is not natural and easy. But it's of God. And it's a call and it's a beckon to. Because what the world says, what we're infiltrated with every moment of every day is do what makes you happy. You deserve it. Gosh, you deserve it. We'll get you a trophy. Everybody gets trophies. Everybody will make it. Everybody, you're all little winners. No, you're not all little winners. Everybody doesn't get the trophy. We played a golf tournament yesterday. He came in fifth. That's not a winner. You don't get the gold medal for fifth. That's quite all right. It doesn't matter. What matters is that there's progress happening. 
is that I'm pressing in, that I'm dying to self. I'm going to, how am I going to do that? I'm going to, by renewing my mind. Another way we renew our mind is through prayer. We spend time pouring out our heart to God, listening to God, talking to God, prayer through reading of the scriptures. We get in the word, let the word press on us, let the word shape us and mold us, let the word challenge us. Another way that we renew our mind is through community and fellowship. And that's why we're doing everything we can right now. We, we want to duplicate and do this. And so we're creating environments to do that. We're, we're training right now. There's about six people right now walking through a DNA group. Man, that we're going to release and they're going to create havoc in this world for the glory of God and making disciples. And we want you to be a part of that community. We want you to be a part of that fellowship. We want you to do life together. Why? Because we need each other. We learn and grow from each other as we're in Christ. Another way that we renew our mind is through, is through memorizing the scriptures, getting in the word, memorizing it, reading it, letting, letting it, letting it just, just permeate our heart. That's what we do. And so my question for you is, what, what do you think on most of the day? What do you take in most of the day? What do you ponder most of the day? What do you meditate on most of the day? And so if your mind and your thoughts are centered on and around everything other than Christ, then you'll feel hopeless, you'll feel anxious, you'll feel miserable. You'll feel like you have no idea who God is and what he is trying to accomplish. But, but church, if you have your mind and thoughts dominated and set on the reality of who Christ is, on who God is, on his word, and you'll be more in tune with what Paul says next about what the will of God is. Look at this as he finishes too. He says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, so what he's saying, church, is this. When we die to self and our minds are renewed, then we are able to have the right perspective and awareness of God at work in all things of our life. I can remember I had, I had a professor in college that would, would make this statement. He said, there's no such thing as bad news for the believer. Only updates on God's will for your life. Like, dang, that's perspective, is it not? I mean, there's no such thing as bad news for us. Uh-uh. Just an update on what God's doing. What it appears like God's leading and doing in or how he's working to do. And you're like, that, that just sounds horrible. It does until you have perspective. Until you understand that your life's not your own, that you've handed it over as a living sacrifice. I have no say or right of my life at all. None. And I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. Why? Because I mess it up. I screw it up. I make a mess of it. But he doesn't. Now, it may appear like a mess, and it may appear like a struggle, and it may appear like a bunch of stuff. But hear me, in him and through him and with him and perspective and understanding that he's working and doing for my good and for his glory, man, it's a beautiful mess in the moment. Now, hear me, my heart's not always at that place. There's some fighting, and there's some words, and there's some argument, and there's some frustration. And God just lovingly reminds me and challenges me, remember, boy, you're mine. You've given your life to me. You're dead. You don't have a say in this, and I'm trying to do something. There's something, Scott, I see in you or with you or something that I'm trying to do to show somebody else how good and how great I am. And that changes. See, Romans 8, 28, this is what it says. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, his will, right? My life's not my own. I'm dead to self, alive in Christ. Whatever he chooses to bring in my way, May it be for his glory. May I have that perspective. May I have that understanding. And when I'm dead to self, I can, I, can, I can get there. It may take a while sometimes or a minute, but I'll get to that place. I'll get to that. Like, like the Apostle Paul. Like, have, you, have you read his story? The, the Apostle Paul was, just, it was a crazy man for Jesus, it seemed like. And, and he got this. He understood that he was dead to self. Why? Because you, you threatened to kill him. What does he say? Dies gain. Bring it on. Take, I just get to be with Jesus sooner. Bring it. And he even, like, like he was so crazy, he even talked about that. Oh, I would love to be dead right now. Man. Oh, but I guess I'll stay for them. But Lord, are you sure? 
I mean, there's, a, there's some Roman guys over there with spears. Just saying. There's a ship, boat, some snakes out here. What, uh, whatever you need to do, I'll be here for them. I mean, you couldn't do anything to him. You do nothing to him. Okay, well, to live is Christ. You couldn't leave him alone. You couldn't do something to him. You imprison him. What happens? He shares the gospel with all your, 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 uh, your guards and gets them saved. Now you've got an even bigger mess on your hands because he's in prison with somebody else and he's gotten them saved. You beat him. He comes out and says, man, who am I that you would count me worthy to endure the same as Christ? I mean, you couldn't touch the guy. You couldn't mess with him. Every situation and opportunity was there. Why? To walk out and to be in the middle of God's will for his life in this world, whether it was pretty, whether it was rough, whatever the case was, his perspective was that of Christ, which reminds me of a lady that, that's in our congregation right now that's battling cancer, that's fighting through cancer. And she found out her diagnosis a little while back. We made the, we made the, uh, the, the prayer blanket and gave it to her, Denise. Man, she found out she had cancer, and so what, she goes in, and she's trying to get in, and they don't get her in. Well, then they don't get her in, and in that, they find out there's this mass in her heart. So they go in, they take out the mass. But she's in the hospital, like, the day after, like, having something removed from her heart. And she's telling them about Jesus. She's telling the nurse about Christ. I'm like, I'm at least laying up for like three or four days not talking to nobody, you know? Like, like, like I'm just, I'm, ah. But, but no, I mean, she uses an opportunity to share. Tell about Jesus. Things just keep getting bummed back. Well, hey, God's got this. I mean, I'm his. Yeah, I want it out. Yeah, I want to start. Yeah, I want it. I mean, he's worked so, I mean, he's in charge of it so far to this point. Why would he quit? I mean, her perspective in her heart is like that, so positive. And God's doing something much, much bigger. See, church, the will of God is God's purpose and desire and decree in our world, in our lives, to bring Him glory. That's what it is. And whatever that looks like, whatever that means, and I know we can get into perfect, permissive, we can get into all kinds of these debates. At the end of the day, God's will is to bring Himself glory and to show Himself true in this world. And he uses us to do that. And I want to align myself, whether it appears to be good on my side, it appears to be bad on my side, whatever, however I perceive it, I know that there's something greater going on. Why? Because I've died to self. I know that he's working and doing in my life to show that. So as the band comes back up here, we as followers of Jesus no longer live our lives in conformity to this world. Now th this right here, church, the world, this, is, this has got to go because this, this holds us down. Yep, that's it. It messes us up. It breaks us. It limits us. And there's unlimited beauty and joy and greatness in Christ. And the world wants to snuff that out. The world wants to, to hold us down. The world wants to tell us and get us to believe that there's certain ways and mentalities and thoughts uh, uh, that are right for the world. But, 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 the, but the world can't handle Christ. They can't handle the bigness and vastness because they just can't understand it or they can't figure it out or they can't explain it away. But he says, man, I've got something so much greater for you. And so what do we do? We offer our lives as this living sacrifice. We renew our minds with the truth of God and we become transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That will, that's what we do in our perspective and our heart. And so church, I want us as a church to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And the one way we're going to do that today is this, is we're going to sing some songs that's going to point our heart and our hearts back to Christ and who he is. And then we're going to do that by taking captive our thoughts, reorienting them and aligning them to the truth of what communion stands for. We'll be reminded of who Jesus is as we approach this table, the elements of his body, the bread, of his blood, the juice. And we'll partake in communion, and we'll be reminded that that sacrifice on the cross is just a beckoning, a calling to say, come, come on. And come be mine. It's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put somebody in you that's going to help you 
and I'm going to give you community and family that's going to walk with you, and they're going to struggle at times to do that, but just say, hey, hang with me, because I'm doing the same thing in them, trying to get them there too. But I'm going to do this work in them, and so what we're going to do is we're just going to spend this time as they sing. I mean, if you want to come pray there in Corinthians, he says, man, inspect, check your heart, make sure. And if there's sin in your life, come confess it. Lay it at the cross. Die to self. Do those things because after we finish singing, after we finish praying, after we finish worshiping here in this moment, and we're going to partake of the elements of the cross. And they're at the doors. If you haven't got it when you come in, they're at the doors. You can grab those uh, little cups with the juice and, the, and the, the wafer, the crackers there. And we'll celebrate. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you for who you are, your goodness, your greatness. God, I pray you move and speak. Make your presence in this place. Father, help us to live this out. God, the heart here that don't know you is, Lord, I pray that you just beckon them in, woo them in, call them in, rescue them. Father, Father, for the heart here that's struggling on laying their life on the altar to be sacrificed, to die, Father, that you would help them, give them the strength, the courage, the encouragement, Father, the conviction, God, to lay their life down so that you can work and do so much greater in them. We love you, we need you, Jesus. And we pray, amen.